come to you this morning. We come to you and we ask you, Lord, we beg you. Help us to hear you this morning. Help us to change us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You would think that something like faith or something like the gospel would be easy to grasp, easy to define, and we'd all just agree on it and go on. But as I talk to people from all over and from other churches, I'm finding that concepts like faith and the gospel are the most muddled of all. So I don't think we can start with a discussion of how to have faith in hard times without first defining what faith is. And to do that, we're going to look at some verses. Now, in the matter of time this morning, I'm going to go kind of quickly. So I have, I've cheated. I've typed them out. So if I go too quickly for you to flip to them all, I, I apologize. But you can't start with defining what faith is without starting with Hebrews 11.1. 1. So let's go there first. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then jumping over to Luke 9.23, Jesus says, Then he said to them all, if, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And I think if we take those verses and we put them together, we come up with a fairly workable definition of faith. And it would sound like this. Faith is being sure and certain that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he'll do to the degree that we set our desires aside, lay our life down, and follow Christ. Faith is being sure and certain that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do to the degree that we lay our desires aside, lay our life down, and follow Christ. And as I talk to people, I find that there's really kind of two camps of people that claim they're believers. And that is, there are those that, we'll call them cheerleaders. They stand on the side. And they cheer, and they go God. But when it comes time to lay their lives, put their desires aside, and follow Christ, they can't quite do that. To have faith in hard times, what it takes first is true faith. Because anything else, when we're squeezed, will run. To believe to a point, to be certain and sure to a point that we can lay our desires aside, lay our lives down and follow him. What else do we know about faith? Faith doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any worldly sense. When the world encounters someone with faith, they just think we're kooks. It doesn't make any sense to them. It's not logical to them. In fact, Paul says, if it wasn't true, then we'd be the most pitied of all. Faith doesn't make any worldly sense. 
And faith is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, We are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. If you are here this morning and you have faith in Jesus Christ, it's not because you're smart. It's not because you were in the right place at the right time and heard the right thing. It's because God looked down, had pity on you, penetrated that hard heart, and made you see him to the point that you could follow. Faith is a gift. And we also know that even though we all have the same saving faith, it seems to we get different amounts of it. In Romans 12, he says that the person who prophesies has a gift of prophecy should prophesy to the extent of his faith. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it lists faith as one of the spiritual gifts. One of those gifts that some people get supernaturally from the Holy Spirit for the building up of the body. Faith is a gift. And this makes perfect sense because God created us to need each other. We have different gifts so that we need each other. And we don't all look the same. I know it gets frustrating sometimes when you have one gift and you look at everybody else and say, don't they get it? But guess what? They're looking at you saying the same thing. Because we all have different gifts and we all need each other. Some have the gift of faith so that they can encourage those whose faith wavers and build them up. But what do we normally do? What do we normally do when hard times come? We normally kind of run and hide, don't we? How many times have you heard a conversation like, where's Joe? I haven't seen him lately. Oh, He's going through a hard time. Well, if Joe's going through a hard time, he needs to be here twice as often. Because this is where we come. This is where God has gifted other people to come and to nurture me and care for me and love me and build me up when I'm weak. If we lack faith, this is where we come. And the person with the gift of faith can remind us of who God is can stand with us and hold us up, stand in the gap for us. If we have sinned, this is where we come to confess it, not to run from it. And if we have needs, this is where we come, and those who have the gift of encouragement can encourage us. Those who have the gift of mercy can care for us, and those who have the gift of giving can help us. But we say things like, well, I don't want to be a burden on anybody. And, you know, it I just makes me uncomfortable when people help me. Hello? That's the plan. God created us for this. We're not created to do this on our own. I've tried. Trust me, it doesn't work. I need you. And you need each other. And when hard times come, the first thing you have to do is run to the body and get cared for. Because if you do it on your own, you're in trouble. Amen? We need to swallow our pride and say, I can't do this. We just don't want people up in our business, right? We don't want people thinking, well, I don't want people to know my marriage is struggling. Guess what? I'm married. I know your marriage is struggling. 
That's the way it works. We need each other. First point. When you have hard times, run here. You can't have a discussion on faith and trouble without going to James. So James 1, starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that it may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, the first few times I read that, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. I thought, this boy has fallen and hit his head. When trouble comes, look at it and go, there's joy. But James answers two important questions for us here. The first is the purpose of trouble. The second is the nature of faith. The purpose of adversity in our life is to drive us to Christ. I mean, be honest. When times are really good, we tend not to be driven to Christ as much. But when trouble comes, we desperately run to Him. The purpose of trouble is to drive us to Christ so our faith can grow. And the nature of faith is that it grows in the garden of that adversity. The purpose of trouble is to drive us to Christ, the nature of faith that it it grows in that garden of adversity. That's why James could say, the poor man in his high position, the rich man in his low position, because he's talking about faith. And face it, the rich man doesn't have to run to God as much, does he? He has the resources to take care of his trouble, to get out of his trouble, to avoid his trouble. But the poor man has no other place to go but to run to God, to throw himself on his mercy, to depend upon him. So he has a high position of faith because his garden is much bigger. And before we go on, well, Jesus says, first, Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven because you can't serve both money and God. Before we go on, let's be honest about who the rich are. My daughter showed me this website. And it was very interesting. It's a website where you punch in how much you make every year, and then they compare it with the rest of the world. And they make all the calculations from all the different monetary systems and buying power and all that kind of stuff. And so you punch in how much, and it gives you a ranking of where you are in the world. And so... Said, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's punch in $30,000 a year. Now, we wouldn't consider $30,000 a year rich. Um, in fact, that's kind of just getting by, right? So I punched in $30,000 a year, and I'm thinking, well, what do you think? What do you think $30,000 a year would fall on the scale of 1 to 100? So I'm thinking, yeah, $30,000 a year, there's a lot of poor countries. We're in the top 50%, right? If you make $30,000 a year, Your wealth is in the top 7% of the world. If you make $50,000 a year, it's in the top 1%. 
Let's not fool ourselves, no matter what you think. We are the rich. Those verses and those warnings were written to us. The poor man in his high position, the rich man in his low position. The purpose of trouble in our life is to drive us to Christ, to build our faith. The nature of faith that it grows in that garden. Now, I didn't understand that until I was in my late 20s. Now, I, I, I knew it. I read the verses. I talked about it. I understood the concept of it, but I didn't really understand it until I was in my late 20s. We lived in a small town, and we had our own business, and life was pretty good. We were just plugging right along, doing okay. And then the economy in that small town tanked. And it, it actually reminded me of what's going on today on a bigger scale. It was kind of a little micro economy there. And it just tanked. And nobody had any money. Unemployment was really high. People were actually trading goods for services, you know, whatever they could grow or raise, trading them for services. And so the poor economy, coupled with my totally ineptitude of running a business, we went broke. And so at that point, we didn't panic. And I got work here and there. And then I landed this job that um, very long hours, very long commute, six days a week. But it paid more than I'd ever made before. And so we think, okay, life is good. We're just going to plow ahead and we got this. And then I got this mysterious illness. Um, they couldn't figure out why I was sick. And I spent some time in the hospital in isolation, and they still couldn't figure it out, so they sent me home, and it had settled in my spleen, and when I was at home, my spleen kind of exploded, and it impacted my liver and damaged my diaphragm, and, and um, so I went down like a, like a rock, and my wife and a friend got me in the car and got me over to the emergency room, and they got me in the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, they still couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And, and you know, over the next 10 hours, they made some, some poor decisions about that. And finally, at the end of that, when they thought they were just going to lose me totally, they um, put a zipper in from here to there just so that they could see what was in there. They found the problem. They fixed it. And then they put me in a room to see what would happen. And I can remember... After a couple weeks, the doctor came in, and he, he said to me, he said, Son, we don't know why you lived. You shouldn't have. But you're in pretty bad shape. And it's going to be a long, slow recovery. It's going to be six months before you can go do anything. And it'll be a, at least a year before you can go back to doing the kind of physical work you were doing. That's the day I started to learn about faith. Here I was, laying in the hospital. I had all this business debt hanging over me. I had a wife. I had three kids. I just had major surgery, spent three weeks in the hospital. And the doctor says, yeah, six months to a year, you can go back and get a job. No savings, no insurance. I had an opportunity to learn about faith that day. And even though the next few months were 
difficult. If you offered me all the money in the world right now to go back and skip that, I wouldn't take you up on it. Now, if you offered me that in the middle of it, I would have jumped at it. But I can look back and understand that God was teaching me to run to him. He was teaching me how to pray. He was teaching me what it meant to depend on him and him alone. And I got to see him do miraculous things I never thought were possible. He carried us through that time. And I wouldn't trade that for the world because that's where I learned who God was. And that's where I learned faith. Trouble comes to drive us to him so that our faith can grow there. It does. And I'm not going to say we didn't struggle. We did. There was fear. There were tears. There was worry. And when your children come to you and, and look at you and say, Daddy, I can't wait for Christmas. And you're going, I'm not sure we're eating on Christmas. Much less buying presents. There were long, frustrated talks with God. But God was always faithful. God always took us through that. And God blessed us greatly. Struggle is not wrong. Sometimes when we struggle with faith, we say, oh, I failed. Struggle is the process of faith. That's where we work it out with him. That's where we grow. That's why he brings it. If you struggle with faith, don't see yourself as a failure. That's just part of the journey. Keep struggling. Don't let go of that. Second point is you have to understand the purpose of adversity and you have to understand the nature of faith if you're going to walk through that. Next point. We'll call it, it's in the little things. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted in very little can also be trusted in much, and whoever is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. That's the NIV. Most other, Every other translation says, Whoever is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Whoever is not faithful in little will be not be faithful in much. The world of politics drives me nuts. Because you'll hear people say things like, well, I don't care what he does in his personal life, as long as he's a good leader and takes care of me. Hello, McFly. If the guy will lie to and cheat those who are closest to him that he cares the most about, what chance do you, a stranger, have? It's in the little things that determines what we do in the big things. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I tend to sweat the little things. Too much, I'm told. And it comes with all kinds of, all kinds of labels. Legalistic, neurotic, CDO, 
That's OCD in alphabetical order. But I believe this. I believe this verse. I believe God when he says, if you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the big things. And if you're not faithful in the little things, you will not be faithful in the big things. How many times have you heard when someone falls away and people will say, oh, yep, yep, saw that coming. Saw that coming. You know, here are all the signs of that going to happen. Or when somebody hangs tough and is faithful, they go, yep, I knew he would. Why? Because when we're faithful in the little things, we will be faithful in the big things. It is the little things. Anybody that's ever trained in combat or rescue or emergency services or medicine knows that you practice what you're supposed to do even when it doesn't matter. And you do that because you know if you do that over and over and over and over again, then you know that when it does matter and you have split second to decide, you're going to automatically do what you've been doing and you're going to revert to your training. Well, it's the same with us. Don't let anybody tell you that it doesn't matter if you obey all the laws or fudge on your taxes or work for money under the table or whatever it is. If we're faithful when times are good, we'll be faithful when times are hard. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll automatically revert to that when the big things come. Don't fool yourself and say, well, these little things don't really matter. I don't really have to worry about those. But when the big things come, I'm going to do the right thing. It doesn't work that way. It's in the little things. That faith is nurtured. Next point. What point number are we on? I don't know. Well, three? Okay. Three. Good. Because I thought it was 12. We'll call it live in the moment. We have a great capacity to run every scenario out to its impossible end, don't we? Right? You hear at work that they're downsizing, they're probably going to have layoffs. So what do we think? Oh, they're going to have layoffs. I could lose my job. If I lose my job, I won't be able to make my house payment. If I can't make my house payment, they're going to evict me, and I'm not going to have any place to live. And by the time you get home, you run into the house and go, honey, we're homeless. God says, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. I've got tomorrow Let's worry about today. Let's work on today. I've given you enough faith to handle today. If we borrow trouble from tomorrow, God says, when you get there and you need it, I'll give you enough faith for tomorrow. If we borrow trouble from tomorrow, we're going to be in a place that we're not ready to be. He says, focus on what's in front of you. Live in the moment. What do we know? They're downsizing. They're going to have layoffs. That's all we know. Okay, I have enough faith to handle that. Tomorrow, God will give me whatever I need to handle that. He promises never to give us more than we can handle. We just create some stuff every once in a while, don't we? Second Corinthians 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The battle for faith does not happen here. It happens here. Take every thought captive. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What do you spend your time thinking on? Is it the good things that God brings? Or the possibility of bad things? I had a friend I met with a while back, and he, and he said, I am just beside myself. He said, for the last 18 months, we have just barely been squeaking through. We, we don't have any extra money. We don't go to dinner. We don't go to the movies. We're just barely hanging on by our fingernails. He said, I can't sleep at night. It's affected my marriage. He said, I'm just waiting for it all come crashing down. We're barely surviving. I said, wow, sorry to hear that. How, how far behind are you? And he said, well, everything's current. We're not behind, but we're barely making it. And any day now, it's going to end. And I thought, wait, time out. What you're telling me is for the past 18 months... Day by day, God is faithfully giving you everything you needed so that you have no lack. You may not have everything you want, but he's given everything you needed. He's been faithful day by day for 18 months. What you're afraid of is that he won't be faithful again tomorrow. I don't know about you. I'm very much like that. Think about what's pure and noble and right and lovely and admirable. Those things, think about. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have become an ungrateful society, haven't we? You ever notice that people are getting crabbier? And if you do exactly what you're supposed to do, what do they say? Good, you did exactly what you're supposed to do. And if you don't, they say what? what why didn't you do what you're supposed to do? And we've be, quit becoming grateful for things. And we also take that over to our relationship with God. When God does what we expect him to do, then we go, well, we expected you to do that. And when he doesn't do it exactly like we think he should, then we complain and grumble. Are we thankful for the things God gives us? Dan prayed in his prayer. Be thankful that God woke us up this morning, gave us breath. Are you thankful for that? You're all healthy enough to be here this morning. Are we thankful for that? 
Are we truly thankful for the things God gives us every single day and the blessings he gives us every single day? Or are we disgruntled because it's not exactly what we want? Thankfulness. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And that includes the adversity that he brings into our life. Because we know it has purpose. And we know that he's working in our life. He only brings it because he loves us. Are we thankful for that? Last point, point 12. We have to develop a worldview of life. What is your worldview of life? Paul had one. It's found in Philippians 1.21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That philosophy of life allowed him to thank God when he went to prison, to get up after being stoned and go back into the city, to live as Christ, to die as gain. What's our philosophy of life? My wife and I have both had the privilege of kind of coming to the end and facing death and having to come to grips with that. Fifteen years ago, she found a lump. And it was, I just changed jobs. We weren't in the insurance system at work yet. And we went to a surgeon, and he looked at her and said, yeah, that's most probable breast cancer. He said, we won't know until we get in there, but be prepared. And um, he said, I notice you don't have any insurance. And we said, yeah, we don't have any insurance. And he goes, I don't think you understand um, how expensive this is. He said, this is going to wipe you out financially. This is going to devastate you, bankrupt you. And we said, you know, God has a plan for this. And he's bigger than this. He's got it. And he goes, I don't think you understand how devastating this is going to be. And we said, I don't think you understand. We've done this before. And God is faithful. And he'll do this. Let's press forward. And every time we went to see that surgeon, he said the exact same thing. This is going to decimate you. You're doomed. And we said, God's got it. Don't worry. Now, we wouldn't have been able to say that if we hadn't already been through this, if we hadn't already struggled the struggle along the way and seen God work. And know that God could do this. After the surgery, and my wife started chemo, a lot of her friends would come over to see her. And um, we've been praying, Lord, why did you bring this? There's got to be a purpose. How are we going to glorify you in this? And so her friends would come over, and, and we had an opportunity to comfort them. And one friend that, that came over was really upset about the whole thing. And she was sobbing. And I can remember Debbie looked at her and said, really, what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen here? She said, 
I could live. What's your biblical worldview? Do you long to go and be with Christ? Do you live for that time where you go to be with Him? This is just a journey. It's not the end. Now again, I don't want to paint us as super saints because there were lots of tears. There was some fear. There was worry. And I had a lot of prayers to God where I said, Lord, this is a totally selfish prayer, I pray. You need to save this woman for my sake. I know you have a plan. I know that you're in control of this, but Lord, I desperately want you to save her. It's not wrong to ask. By prayer and petition, present your requests to God. With thanksgiving. But Lord, I know you have a plan. I know that someday we'll all go be with you. So I'll accept anything that you give from your hand and thank you for it. But, please save this one. God was gracious to me and answered that prayer. Do you live for Christ? Because if we live for Christ, then whatever happens in this life matters less. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean there's not tears. Doesn't mean we don't need to run back here and get cared for. But it's not the end. It's not the ultimate. If we live for Christ, then to die is gain. And to die as gain is only if we live for Christ. What do we live for? How do we have faith in hard times? We stay connected to the body. We understand God's purpose in it. The purpose of adversity. The nature of faith. Pay attention to the little things. Live in the moment, and we live a life dedicated to Christ. Amen? There are times that I'm going to come, and I'm going to have a crisis of faith, and I'm going to need you to give me a hug, give me a kick, whatever it takes. Hold me up, love on me. And there are going to be times that you're going to need that too. This is the place where we bring that and we work through that with our Lord. Amen. I'm really bad at transitions. So, John, this is it.